The Sports Zilla Show starts now. Is that what Columbus did? Just give up on his dream? No. Columbus believed that kids should have a day off ski. And even when his own country wouldn't support his cause, Columbus said, fine, I'll go find a new land where kids can have that day off. And when Columbus sailed to distant places, only to find people already there who said, no, stay off our land. We want our kids to have to go to ski. He said, no, it's one day in October. They need a break. You guys can all give up, but I'm not. Because in 1492, Columbus got us all a day off ski. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. Scoop, I call my kids the raindrops. I call the Mrs. Mrs. Rain. And it is Columbus Day. None of them worked or had school today. They went apple picking without me. It was good to see you yesterday. We uh, actually were together at the same event. There was a Taekwondo demonstration and my son broke a board we had a good time. Yeah, that was cool. It was fun to watch him enjoy that. He was a little shy. wasn't sure he wanted to participate at first, but he got into it and then uh, ran and jumped into your arms after he smashed that board in half. It's very sweet. Did you see my proud papa face? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm now just... It was adorable. I'm disappointed, Dad, today, because I'm like, wait a minute. It's it's not often you get the entire family together. Even my one daughter, who does not live with us, has her own apartment was back together. The whole family, except me, the poor little dude, the four-year-old with all those ladies, go apple picking today, and I'm willing to bet you, and there's a reason for this setup, Scoop, I'm willing to bet you that Taylor Swift was played in the car. I'm telling you right now. I'm willing to bet you your wife's going to tell you they made her nuts, and you're lucky that you didn't have to go. Yeah, they were all <laughs> they were all about it this morning, but yeah, I'm sure how that the stress level goes up. I bring up Taylor Swift for a reason, though, because it is the soundtrack to, I suppose, ladies my daughter's age. Everybody loves Taylor Swift and T-Swizzle. She holds a record in Los Angeles of the most concerts ever played. At, at the Staples at, Center, there's a banner, much yeah. like the Billy Joel banner that hangs at the Carrier Dome. Yep. Excuse me, the Dome. And if you go other places, you'll see things like that. Wells Fargo in... Philadelphia, I know they got a Springsteen banner that hangs there. There's a venue that has a Pearl Jam, like there's a Pearl Jam record too somewhere. But like at the Staples Center in L.A., I guess she did 16 appearances there. So they 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 hung a banner in the rafters. L.A. Kings fans apparently believe she is bad luck. They think Taylor Swift is bad luck because they haven't really done anything since they raised this Taylor Swift banner. So they are now going to cover that banner for all L.A. Kings games. And it's my understanding that when the Clippers play there, too, it wasn't so much a, f- a fan outcry, but they've, uh, as a matter of practice, very often cover over the Taylor Swift banner with like a, a, a Clipper player banner or some such. But L.A. Kings fans upset and apparently have voiced that they want this banner covered up. So I think that's kind of funny, actually. I mean, I like Taylor Swift. I don't have anything, you know, against her. But Taylor Swift is not the reason your team sucks. Let's be honest. I don't think that you've had to hear Taylor Swift as regularly as I have over the years. That's probably true. So I might have a little bit more disdain for T-Swizzle, T-Swift, whatever they call her. I saw might. her uh, back in the day, 2006. Uh, John Fogarty played the halftime show for the Thanksgiving game in Detroit. I, I believe it was 
Detroit and the Jets, if memory serves me correctly. And a little-known singer at the time, Taylor Swift, sang the national anthem. And as she stood there on the sideline in boots, she was taller than a lot of the football players. I got to tell you. My daughter knew who she was in 2006. And lo and behold, she's a mega superstar now. She is. So I don't know if there's any conspiracy theories out there, Scoop, as far as maybe what's gone on over the years, the decades with the Syracuse football team. I don't know if there's any jinxes. Is there something I'm missing? I mean, you read some stuff online and then you just disregard. Half the time ago, I consider the source of that, and I'm like, nonsense. I don't think anybody's ever blamed Billy Joel, have they? No, it, how could it, the you? dome? How could you? It's Billy Joel's fault. It's nothing's Billy Joel's That's fault. That's why we didn't win today. It's Billy Joel's fault. Well, whose fault is it that the Yankees <laughs> lost last night? Of course, people are blaming the manager or they're blaming the the umpires. There was a nice little makeup call. It was everybody was saying the same thing. Everybody thought the same thing late in the game when uh, when he, when with a strikeout, and you're like, uh, that cannot possibly be a strike. That was a foot outside. That's because Gary Sanchez clearly missed the ball in the dirt on the pitch prior. So the umpire made it up to him a little bit. I mean, whose fault was it the Yankees lost last night and they come back? It's travel day today, 1-1 against the Houston Astros and the ALCS. I think I have a very good idea. I'm going to share with you whose fault that is. I have actual audio of this. Here's a fly ball into right. Back at the wall. This game is over. Correa ends it. Series is What a celebration. Carlos Correa hit the home run that gave him the win, so it's partially his fault. But who served up the meatball but Jay Happ? I had a feeling that was going to happen. Some will blame Boone because of the way he managed the game, taking Paxton out so so early. And then she, uh, and then Green was pitching very well. I almost said Shane Green. Sorry about that. But because he was pitching so well, Maybe you kept him in for another inning, and then Tommy Canely was pitching really well. You could have extended all of their outings and perhaps not had to get to the point where you had CC Sabathia, then Jay Happ in the game because it went extra innings, and that was the concern. You used Araldis Chapman perhaps a little bit too soon. Maybe if you didn't use him when you did, you could have had him in there. These are the same discussions they're having about the Cardinals going down two games to the to the Nats. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty when it comes to these decisions on how long you keep a guy in on the mound. You know, I mean, we all have the benefit of uh, the wisdom of knowing what happened. Hindsight's so, twenty twenty. Yeah. Scoop and Rain here on the Sportzilla Show, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Michael K., the broadcaster for the Yankees, often says the fallacy of the predetermined outcome because uh, he went to Fordham, and I guess he's smarter than the rest of us. But I get his point. You can't predict what's going to happen. What happened is exactly what happened. The game happened... Pitch by pitch, inning by inning, out by out, the way that it happened. It took them extra innings to beat the Yankees and for that to play out that way. However, in game one, uh, Yankees are on the road. If you're looking from the Yankees' perspective of this, that's what you want. You go on the road, you get to split your back home for three, and they dominated them in game one. However, however. Like it was a little closer, you know, initially until it got later in the game. That was a that was a close game for a while. And there is the concern that you have Garrett Cole pitching, who has been, as we've discussed just on this past Friday yeah. Sportzilla show, he has been ridiculous. I mean, you're talking late in the game, seventh inning, this guy is 98. Then again, Severino, 
even though he might not be a season this year due to his late arrival to the roster, this is another guy throwing 98 miles an hour if he's getting into the seventh inning and around 100 pitches when they're supposed to be tiring out. I mean, there's concerns. There's also the Stanton injury. He's hurt again. What the heck happened? It's a quad injury. Now this guy can't stay on the field. It's almost like you'll get a season and then he just misses the bulk of the season. The same thing happened when he was in Miami. He's very injury prone. I don't know if it's because he's so muscle bound. But so you have to go with Cameron Maben, and then you have to move Gardner to left field because then Aaron Hicks is back on the roster, and he got into the game late yesterday. There's a lot of moving parts so far in two games of this ALCS. It's an exciting series. Speaking of moving parts, do you see that little Kate Upton celebration in the you know in game game two of that series and up in the box there? Little um, some moving parts there as well. On another radio station that we work for, <laughs> Scoop, we could probably discuss in detail what was visually the best part of that celebration. But uh, the best part of a Ver- Verlander start is watching her reactions. So let's let's flip over to the National League while we've got a second here. And before we talk about the Nets so far being up 2 nothing and dominating the cards, one little side note of that is Hudson and Doolittle and the issue of him taking paternity leave to go be with the white or be with his wife as they had a child. I mean it's it's pretty crazy. Your first baby Daniel Hudson's going to become a father. He doesn't show up for game one, and everybody goes ballistic. And then Sean Doolittle comes around basically and says to anybody questioning a man that wants to go be there for the birth of his child over what's ultimately, at the end of the day, a game. And I love sports, and I get it to a point, but you're a bleep. Yeah, come on. Unclench. Yes, let it go. Let it go. And not one person in that locker room, and everybody has stood up and backed that opinion up. You're absolutely right. Let the man go and enjoy that. Be there for his wife. Be there for his child. You can never get that back again. I would love to pitch on the Yankees or be on the Yankees and win a World Series, but by far the greatest part of your life is becoming a father and having a child. We lose our perspective is the point, Scoop. If I was the player in question and I did not attend the birth of my child to instead play an important game, I'm superstitious. So I think that's that's like bad mojo, man. Like I would almost be afraid I was cursing myself, you know, for my performance. And then you, okay, then you have a crappy game and you miss the birth of your daughter or your son. Well, you I, th- know. I think about it this way. Let's say, let's flip it to the Yankees. And who, who's a key player on the Yankees roster? Let's say it's Glaber Torres. Let's say Glaber Torres, we find out, is going to become a father on its Monday, what, on Wednesday when they resume the series and he can't play. And I'm going to be like, and the fan in me, of course, damn, oh man, that's. Ooh, we, what are I we get gonna, it. What are we going to do without that guy? That's. But I, I don't blame him. I would never hold that against him. I would completely. How dare understand. you allow your personal life and the birth of a child get in the way of my fandom and my love for this team? Where you're so selfish. Ooh, wait a minute. Maybe I am too. Hmm. Mm. Which way does mm. it go here? I mean. I just understand. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. I do understand. Steven Strasburg, though, man, he has been fantastic. Their pitching staff. You know, we all talk about the pitching staff, the starting pitching staff of the Houston Astros, but the Nats? Hello, Steven Strasburg, Scherzer, uh, Patrick Corbin. Have you heard of that guy He's from Syracuse? I mean, geez, they got some pitching, too. Four hits in two games for the Cardinals. 
Yeah. Four hits. This is the team that we were talking last week about getting 10 runs in the first inning. You can reach out to us on Twitter if you agree or disagree. We love to have friendly discussions on sports. You don't have to agree with us. We're at ESPN Sportsilla. This is the Sportsilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. We'll talk NFL next. It's the Sportsilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. Friday night, it's the Romano Subaru pregame show. Seth Goldberg and Brent Axe getting you ready for the Syracuse Orange versus the Pitt Panthers. They're going to share with you all the experts who weigh in on ESPN Syracuse throughout the week, including new Cleveland Brown Eric Dungy and head coach Dino Babers. We're going to discuss Syracuse-Pittsburgh, obviously, in detail, in depth, quite a few times over the course of the week. In the meantime, you have Orange Nation that can break that down a little bit for you. Uh, they go hard on that all the time. But that's something that we'll definitely get to, Scoop. But uh, we're talking NFL right now. Monday Night Football, Lions-Packers. It's in Green Bay. The line is Green Bay in three and a half, minus three and a half. How do you feel about that? Because, you know, I ask that. Let me just, the caveat is something that we had discussed before coming on the air that's going to infiltrate this conversation that... I have a feeling that perhaps the wagers have a little bit to do with some of the officiating, which is the biggest gripe that we've seen online. I think it's probably our biggest gripe. It's just destroying the game. I think that's starting to become a consensus among fans. It's all yours. Well, you watch some of the officiating, and you almost swear sometimes that they're trying to help one team cover the spread. You know, at the end of the game, and then suddenly at the end of the game, maybe they're not calling penalties the, the way they did the rest of the game. And the officiating, really atrocious. I think it was bad in the Dallas game. The, the Chiefs-Texans game, they got one where they, they throw a flag. Uh, Patrick Mahomes thinks he's got a free play. He throws an interception. Then they call some other penalty that doesn't allow him to get the ball back or the free play, and, the, you know, they give the interception to the, they give the ball to the, the, the Texans and the, the Chiefs are like baffled. And then somebody in that whole process apparently rings into the headset of the referee on the field. Somebody in the office somewhere is saying or telling them to do something. It just looks really suspicious. The officiating has been atrocious in this league for a long time. It's a billion dollar industry it, and you can't Get it right. We have these pampered, bloated, fat cats who are on Wall Street working their cushy white collar jobs all week long. We don't. We don't have guys out there by and large, you know, uh, that are athletes or former athletes. You know, a Mike Golick Jr. would make a, a good referee. Get somebody out there, young. That maybe knows the game a little bit better. I, I wonder about I it. Don't. It's officiating in, in all sports, though. I'm old enough to remember, and I know you are, that there was a time where instant replay wasn't a thing. You didn't have 80-inch high-def televisions or even bigger than that. And if you go out to some of the watering holes that, that you can watch a game, you didn't have these amazing camera angles and these high-def cameras and you can't see the play from 16 different angles and super, super slow-mo. They they probably tended to let them play a little more, and the the rules aren't so complicated that, I mean, it's hard for these guys to officiate because we don't know what a catch is anymore. I swear, though, every time you watch a game, almost every time you're watching a pass down the sideline, wide receiver, 
cornerback, safety, whoever it is covering him on that particular play, you can go, there's pass interference both ways on this. He grabbed him here, he touched him here. What is and what isn't? And it's, you'll look at, you know, a hit to the head with the quarterback because of the way they protect the quarterbacks nowadays. And I'm sometimes I'm like, well, that was more dangerous than the one they called the flag on. And, and why does it seem that some players get preference or not? Uh, quarterbacks that tend to run a little bit more don't necessarily get as many calls. There's a certain quarterback, in, and, and I know this is an NFL conspiracy theory, but I'm sorry, nobody gets protected more than Brady. We've seen it too many times. It's a habit now. It's it's not an occasional thing. It's a trend that we see. And there's a few other ones. And, and Josh Allen almost gets killed out there, and, and they yeah. – they go, oh, that's not a helmet-to-helmet hit. And they, they can't make up their mind on that. And even things that should be far easier to do, far simpler, like telling time, or like yesterday's Jarvis Landry and the Browns. He broke the plane of the end zone and had the ball, then fumbled. They called it a fumble. They watch it again. They don't overturn it. They still call it a fumble. They take points off the board for Cleveland. It's affecting games, and sometimes... You know, like in that Dallas game, I'm like, it it gives the appearance that they're they're fudging things. Yes, to benefit maybe somebody in Las Vegas or Atlantic City. And and as I brought up, you've got the cameras, you've got the super slow mo, and that lets all of us, the fans sitting there, well, we can be experts now in critiquing the officiating because if a guy makes a mistake, and granted, there's the human aspect of that based on the call on the field or whatever it is. You sit back and you go, well, I can see it right there. You're wrong. You missed it. You screwed it up. They, there was a replay in, in the Astros-Yankees game. I, I mean, there, there was. it's there, too. It's in every sport. It's not just the NFL. It is directly affecting the games. It is, it is angering people. It is angering fans. The NFL is this close to being a sports entertainment league. They do a thing on ESPN with Randy Moss, where they say he got mossed, and then they'll show different highlights. I, I don't right. know if you've seen the segment seen it. Or, or get the concept of the segment, but the NFL is mossing itself. The NFL got mossed by the NFL. The NFL needs to they, – they pay these officials a decent amount of money. They need to get it right. They need to be better at what they do. I mean, when you're talking about – Inches or something just so extremely close, the naked eye can't catch it. That's one thing. But there are there are plays that you go, come on, that's ridiculous. I don't even need a replay to see that's that's the wrong call or or that's the right call. Every Sunday, every big game, there seems to be some travesty of a call, and the league for years, despite you know saying they do this and they're going to do that, they haven't really cleaned it up. It just seems to be more prevalent. Officiating seems to get worse. Seems suspicious. Lends itself to people wanting to believe these conspiracy theories about the league. Uh, certain teams getting favored for television ratings. I mean, I, I'm i getting closer to believing those theories all the time. I don't, I, it's just the, the Dallas game yesterday was a joke. Patrick Mahomes, that situation was a joke. I mean, the guy thinks he has a free play. Yeah, I I can't. No, so he throws a pick. I can't disagree with and you. And he doesn't get a free play. They, you know, we know there's another flag we should have called on that play. So you you know uh, you're going to lose the ball. It's almost it feels like you're watching like a South Park parody or uh, the Simpsons or Family Guy parodying 
these leagues and or the Simpsons or whatever it is or Saturday Night Live. It's like, is this real life? Is this a comedy show? How no, can it's not. they get it so wrong that when a player breaks the plane of the end zone, which is and a then fumbles in lifetime, I get it. Okay. Things happen fast, but then you go and you look at it, and it's abundantly clear on the replay, and you keep the call. You you don't overturn the call on the field. You keep you keep the call what it is, and it's, it's just unbelievable. And then you go, all right, is this a favor to somebody betting on Seattle or one way or the other? I mean... Scoop is exasperated on the Sportzilla show, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. It, it, is a, it makes it a bad product. It makes it not as fun to watch. It's not as fun to watch as it was years ago. Let me redirect you. My name is Ray. Let me redirect you, Scoop, because you're a Browns fan. Real quick, I don't want to go crazy on this. I just want to make a couple comments about that game. First of all, that OBJ catch, with whatever drama he brings to the team, it's amazing. He's amazing. He's truly an amazing player. That was number three on ESPN's top ten plays of Sunday. And I watched that feature and thought, they should have a top ten most horribly officiated moments every Sunday. I, I will say this about your Browns. they probably though. have 20 of them they could pick from. They lost by four, uh, but uh, there's just at crunch time, it seems, your, your coach is the problem with his play calling. I said this to you last week. I'll say it to you again. Freddie Kitchens, and I know that you pay attention to the rumblings on social media and the journalists that write about this team and cover them in Cleveland, but his days might be numbered. A friend of mine posted, Kitchens can't cook, which no. I thought was kind of clever. No, he burns uh, everything in the kitchen. <laughs> he just does. You know, a guy was doing so well uh, and seemed to be so cutting edge and innovative running the offense last year has at moments regressed, looked clueless, regressed, he's regressed, uh, and has done things that seem to be inexplicable, you know, uh, running the ball in fourth and nine. Yeah, I know Nick Chubb is great. Back in the day when the Browns had Bill Belichick as a coach, there was a there was a joke about. Metcalf up the middle. If you remember Eric Metcalf, mm-hmm. the guy was a pipe cleaner, but he was fast. And they would run him up the middle. Like, you don't have a fullback there. You've got to, you, you know, and people used to just groan. Oh, here we go. And Metcalf up the middle Squished again. Squished like a bug. You know, and if Freddie hasn't grown into the job yet, uh, Baker Mayfield, his hip may be uh, injured now. Uh, the officials didn't help me yesterday, but four turnovers don't help. Two of those, the receivers should have got. I don't think they were Baker's fault, but Scoop, you know, too many penalties. Scoop, can I have the last 30 seconds of this segment? we got to take a break. Go can, ahead. Can I? Because I just want to say this. Uh, it looks like the Jets got mossed. I, I, uh, the Jets mossed <laughs> Dallas, excuse me. The Jets mossed <laughs> Dallas. Um, because there's a movie called Big Daddy with Adam Sandler and that cute little kid that went on to that other show on Nickelodeon. I'm sure you've all seen it. Um, well... How do I put this? What do the kids say in the movie? You lost to the GD Jets. Dallas lost <laughs> to the GD Jets. I'm, I'm trying to be careful with my language. The Giants and the Bills were on a bye, so of course that's the focus for me. And any time as a Giants fan that Dallas loses, America rejoices. And you lost to the GD Jets. I that's that's you're going to regret that game. Is is the point when the season and, is over if you don't make the playoffs? You're and how, regret that how game. the fortunes turn. Three and zero at one point in time, 
Oh, the Cowboy Nation, we're going to the Super Bowl. Ain't nothing going <laughs> to stop us. Let's give Dak his money. And here we are, now three and three. And oh boy. Well, I tell you, I'll tell you something. Gloom. My observation that I'll leave our NFL segment today, I'll leave you with this observation. San Francisco's legit. You might be seeing San Francisco and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. We'll p- take up that discussion with the NFL tomorrow. Uh, thank you for that rim shot. We're going to take a break. The Sportzilla Show, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. They're changing heights in the NBA, and that's next. This is the Sportzilla Show. Scoop and Rain in studio with a Twitter at ESPN Sportzilla. If you want to reach us directly, easiest way to do that, at ESPN, S-P-O-R-T-S-C-I-L-L-A. We'll try to get back to you there. We're going to put out the notable NBA player height changes I thought it was interesting that you normally see there'll be a, a fudging on a person's statistics, height, weight, things like that. It's interesting. Taco Fall, 7'7". Taco Fall in the Boston Celtics now 7'5", officially. Heights have been changed on a player like Boban Moranovic from 7'3 to 7'4". Some players a little taller than we thought. Some players a little shorter than they were necessarily listed at. They might fudge the weight to make a guy seem a little bit more imposing. This happens in all sports. But specifically the NBA, Kevin Durant actually got a little bit taller, 6'9 to 6'10. I always thought initially in his career he was listed at 6'11, and they marveled at his skills and his abilities because of his height. I'm, I'm curious why now. I always thought this was the sort of thing that went on in all sports, and it was, you know, just a function of how it would best serve your own team, what, what you told, you know, everybody in the media guide with regards to your height, age, whatever. You know, a lot of this stuff is... Not exactly factually correct, but why now? Why now? I wonder, are they revealing these, you know, how it's inconsistent with the person's real height? I'm not quite sure where they're going for the accuracy. Dwight Howard, 6'11 to 6'9. I mean, he's a big, strong guy, and he's been able to block shots, been able to play defense, been able to function at that position. Yeah, why now? Why does it matter that he's actually 6'9? I never would have thought twice about it. Ever. I wouldn't have went, did he get a little shorter? He's not really that tall. I mean, the vast majority of people walking around the streets, you don't see the guys that tall because they're generally playing in the NBA and they're not wandering around by my house. You know what I mean? So I don't have a good judge on... Maybe a heck of a driveway pickup game if they were. Yeah, I'm not in, in the Syracuse basketball's practice to see guys that are six eight six nine. You see them on the court, but the perspective is a little different than when you're right in there with them. For your average guy like me, I'm just your average fan that makes those observations. Draymond Green is actually six five and not six seven. Derek Rose, another one, six three. They're now listening to him as six one. But I, yeah, the, the question is why Isaiah Thomas, what do they say, was 5'11", and now they're officially saying he's like 5'9", or 5'8". It's just interesting to me. Why don't they just keep the the facade going? I, I just That's what I'm curious about. Why do they feel the need to suddenly come clean on height? I, you know. If they can play, they can play. I think that's really what it is at the end of the day. It's It's just interesting. I'm sure they lied about, uh, you know, how tall Spud Webb was back in the day, you know. Preseason's underway. The season gets started pretty soon. It's looking like Philadelphia, again, will probably be the team to beat in the East. I don't know if anybody else has jumped out at you, Scoop. Clearly, the Lakers have gotten better. That team is actually kind of scary in some ways now. 
I just don't know what we're going to get out of the Lakers. You know, how much does LeBron have left in the tank? You know, how well is that all going to gel? You know, I mean, last year, probably the most disappointing year of LeBron's career. I mean, and I don't know that L.A. has taken to him yet. They, you know, and they're chanting Kobe at him and stuff like that. You know, it's a big year for him. And I, I know he uses that sort of stuff for motivation. So we'll see how much that propels his game onward because he had some bad moments last year, and you know his get his body is is betraying him. Toronto without Kawhi, with him now now going to the to the Clippers, definitely changes. I suppose the power structure. Golden State obviously has a lot of roster changes. It's going to be pretty interesting, but there's a power shift overall that hasn't happened in about a half a decade with the dominance of Golden State. That is definitely happening and is undertaking, and they're preparing for that. The season's obviously not far away. I love how Toronto won it because nobody would have predicted that. You know, it was like almost a foregone conclusion that oh, the Warriors are going to—they're going to win again. Nobody's even going to give them a a a problem. And then here comes Kawhi and Toronto, and they shocked the world, and it was—it was kind of fun. I had fun breaking up a spirited debate on the phones a few minutes ago. That was that was a that was a fun call. It was nice to talk to the smartest person in the world. We're, let's be nice. Let's be nice. I am being nice. Let's, I'm I'm complimenting the smartest man in the world. We're he gonna, obviously has all the answers. We're going to talk to except uh, how to you know maybe stay married, but I haven't figured that one out either. We're going to talk to Lucas Favalli tomorrow. We want to preview that a little bit. Talk a little bit about the crunch. We'll do that in our final segment on the Sportzilla Show. ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. This is the SportsZilla Show. Good weekend for the Crunch. They went to Cleveland, won a couple of games. The Miracle Baby documentary by Corey Conacher showed at the Syracuse International Film Festival. And I guess that's a pretty good way to celebrate with a couple of wins in Cleveland where they had some good crowds. Yeah, they. Yeah, what did you say? It was 11,000? It was like 11,676 on Friday night. I don't, I don't know what the tally was for Saturday, but yeah, that's a lot of people for an AHL game. That certainly is two to one on Friday night, first win of the season, and then of course the second win of the season. The Crunch beat the Cleveland Monsters six to three. Twelve players recorded a point on Saturday night, uh, but you also got to see Scott Wedgwood on Friday, and then you got to see Louis Domingue. On Saturday, they have really good goaltending this year. Uh, those two are very capable at this level of sustaining or being the backstop for a very good team. And there's some serious talent. I mean, Cal Foot had a great weekend with a few points. Corey Conacher was on the board again. Luke Shen picked something up. You're going to love him if you're a Crunch fan and you're not that familiar with him. I'm telling you right now. Nice addition to the team. He is Alex Barry Boulay. Uh, Abandonado, Peter Abandonado, the rookie, got his first professional goal. And then, of course, another one on Saturday night. So got some good young talent. You got Cameron Gauntz in there, some other veteran talent on this team. Wow. It's going to be a good season. And then Wednesday night, the crunch in Utica for the Comets home season opener. The first of, obviously, in division, numerous matchups. These are the... I'm telling you right now, if it's the Crunch going to Rochester or down to Binghamton or out to Utica, these are the games they love because you come back at the end of the night and you are sleeping in your own bed. That's the beauty of that. The travel isn't quite as bad with some of these teams being close together. They get more practice days. 
which is what you want. I mean, how do you, how does the team click and come together? You find out if this line is clicking with that line. That's how you do it. You get on the ice and you practice. If you're spending more time traveling, like out in the Western Conference of the American Hockey League, uh, the way they do it is points percentage. They play a f- they play fewer games because they travel so much more. The teams are so much geographically farther apart. So this is beneficial. And there's a big article on ESPN.com right now about the NBA and how the travel that those guys have to endure over the course of a season, which is far more than the NFL, leaves those guys sleep-deprived. Absolutely. You know, you just don't get the same kind of sleep on a plane. And, you know, in the AHL, you may get home at 2 or 3 in the morning on the bus or 4, but you're going to sleep in your own bed. You know, and you're going to be closer to your own practice facility in the morning. Yeah, it's it's definitely beneficial. Obviously, this is the flagship of the Syracuse Crunch. The home opener is on the 19th, in in case you're not that far ahead with the schedule against the Charlotte Checkers. But the voice of the Syracuse Crunch, Lucas Favalli, will join us tomorrow at 3.15. We'll be back to do it again. The Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Have a great rest of your day.